We're going to read this morning a short passage from Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. This is a letter that Paul obviously wrote to the church in Colossa, and this is a prayer that Paul is offering for him. And uh, I just, when I was looking at this week, I just saw his, what his big prayer was for the church in Colossa, and I thought that really ought to be the big prayer for the people of Orchard Hill uh, as well. And so Colossians 1, uh, 9 through 14. For this reason, and that reason is that they are believers in Jesus Christ, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul's praying. We continually ask God, notice what he's praying for, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Well, I want you all to know that I had a really great week this week. Yeah, thank you. You you, Yeah, we we can cheer for my really great week this week because I only had to reset three passwords this week. I only lost my keys one time, and, buckle up for this, in the midst of completing a 1,000-piece puzzle, all the red pieces that were left at the very end, I also answered six questions correctly on the game show Switch. I'm out. I'm out. Does the week get any better than that? And while you guys are, I can tell, really impressed with my knowledge, with the great brain that I have, that's why they call me the Big B, it's for brain. I have to let you down in on something. My knowledge is limited. My knowledge is limited. I know, I know this is bursting a bubble that some of you may have, but, but my knowledge is limited. In spite of uh, how much I impressed myself throughout the week, the reality is that this little brain of mine is limited. On a, re- on a regular basis, I forget things. Keys, wallets, passwords information that I'm supposed to, names of people, phone, all kinds of things I'm forgetting on a regular basis. But on the other side, I recognize I'm also learning new things. I mean, just this morning before I walked in here, I accidentally pressed something on my iPad, and it showed me the Bible verse right in from my sermon that I touched it and went right over to the Bible verse. I've been holding this iPad here for like 10 years and have never known that. So this morning, it's going to be cool because I'm just going to touch that 
and I'm going to go right to the... Because I'm learning new things constantly. And so we recognize that as human beings, oh, we're kind of limited here. And then the older you get, the more you recognize that as well, um, especially if you start seeing the law of diminishing returns going on. But the good news is this morning for us, while we recognize that our minds are limited, we serve... Rob, you jumped way ahead of me this morning, (laughs) but you're exactly right, my friend. While we are limited, say it again, God is not not limited in his knowledge at all. In fact, we say that our God is, the word is, omniscient. God is omniscient. You may understand this a little bit from last week because we talked about God being omnipotent. And there uh, I said that the word was made up of two Latin words. The first part is omni, which means all. And in this case, for knowledge, it's made up of the word scientia. And while you were impressed that I had a, that I had a, a lot of scientia myself, our God has omni-scientia, omniscience. He is all-knowing. Holy cow. I know our little, can your little brain wrap around that? Our God is all-knowing. He is absolute knowledge. All things that were, that are, that will be, God has the knowledge of. He doesn't gain it from anywhere. He is knowledge. God doesn't unlearn stuff. He retains all knowledge. He's perfect knowledge in all things. Perfect wisdom in all things. Perfect understanding of all things. A.W. Tozer wrote these words in The Pursuit of God. He said, God is omniscient, which means that he knows in one free and effortless act all matter, all spirit, all relationships, in all events. Our God knows it all. I mean, our God does not stroll up to the pearly gates in heaven and then kind of go, oh, I wonder what the password is. <laughs> Forgot it. Oh, yeah, 777. That's probably, what it, that's probably what it is. Actually, you think God would probably have a tougher password than that, wouldn't you? I mean, I can remember 777. I think God should have, this is just free thinking here. I think God should, I think God's password should be pie. The, not, not pie that you eat, but, but the number for pie, right? Because it, it just goes on, and God's eternal. And so he could just punch that into the gate, and that, I don't know. God remembers everything. God knows everything. And that's what we get in Romans 11 in the, in the great doxology that it asks, who knows the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has to tell God? Nobody. 
God. And, and then in Psalm 147.5, they declare, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. We're back to where Pastor Laura took us the first week, that God is infinite in his knowledge. This is our God. Can you begin to comprehend that a little bit? Because sometimes we put God in our little God box and we think God, well, maybe he knows a little more than me or maybe he's got a little more knowledge on some things than me and we can find God in some way into our little box. But can you begin to see here that there is no way that we could contain our God at all? Omniscience of God? He's all knowing. It's going to take all day for our little brains to wrestle with that. And as we think about this God who is all knowing, and that there is none like him, and he's omniscient. I believe that that affects, or should affect, our posture before him in four ways. Because if we believe this is who God is, if we know that God is omniscient, that this is a character of our God, then it is going to impact how we stand before him. Right, I'm strolling in to see God. I'm coming before God, and I know that he is all-knowing. In addition to, last week we talked about all-powerful, and we also talked about infinite, and next week we're talking about eternal, and we're going to keep going. This keeps getting, right? You see where this is going? And as I stroll in before this God, it has to affect our, our posture before him. It has to affect the way, I mean, I think when I was a, a little kid, at Rosewood Elementary School, behaving myself each and every day according to every rule. And I'm in the hallway, goofing around with my friends, you know, we're running around the hallway, I don't know what we're doing, we're probably throwing something at somebody, and uh, chasing each other through the hallways, and we were supposed to be in class, but we got out because we had to go to the bathroom. And so we were running around the hallways, and then you come around the corner, and there was Mr. Gerard, the principal. What do you do? There's Mr. Gerard, the principal. Boom, just like that. Start walking, right? And start talking. We're not throwing anything anymore. We're behaving. Hello, Mr. Gerard. What's up, boys? What's going on? We're, we just used the restroom, and we're going right back to class right now. And suddenly we change our behavior because of who we're in front of in the presence of. We get this. And would that not be amplified in a greater capacity with God? We're coming into the presence of God, so I think it should, should affect our posture before him. And so the first thing that I think it affects is that we come and we stand before God reverently in worship. We stand before God reverently in worship. Reverence, by definition, is the honor and respect that is deeply felt and outwardly demonstrated in light of the greatness of God. All right, reverence is, I, I have this, I understand who God is, and inside I, I have honor. Oh my goodness, he's omniscient. I have respect, he's omniscient, powerful, eternal, infinite, sovereign, great. I, I know this, 
and it's outwardly demonstrated in light of this greatness of who God is. That's reverence. And the Bible records reverence as the automatic response to everyone who came into the awesome presence of God. When they were faced with the grandeur of God, reverence. Numbers 26 tells us this. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent meeting and fell on their faces because they were in the presence of God. Judges 13, 20 says, And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell to the ground in reverence before the Lord. First Chronicles 21, 16 says, And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord, and then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces in reverence. Do you see the posture there before God, who is omniscient, who is God? The posture is downward, isn't it? In worship, because he is God, and we are not. We don't even compare in any way, shape, or form. And when we step into his, his grandeur, it compels us to, to, to worship. The apostle Paul said in Romans eleven thirty three, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Do you hear that? The depth of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. Paul's just just trying to comprehend this omniscience of God. And when we gaze on this omniscience of God, it brings us to our knees in worship. It brings us in humility to worship our God because he is great and we are not. But how often do we just come into his presence like he's in a little box and like, dude, here I am to worship today, strolling in, and God is here. Hey, buddy, how's it going, big guy upstairs? And we just make God our little sidekick friend. Now, there's an aspect where Jesus is to be our friend, and Jesus allows us to come into the presence of God through what he has done. But the very character and nature of God does not change. It's the way that we access and have presence to our God who is omniscient. And we need to come before him in worship. And so if you ever are struggling to get out of bed on Sunday morning, right? Because worship means worth-ship. Worth-ship. What is God worth? And if you're ever struggling on a Sunday morning to get out of bed or you're, you're gone or you got stuff going on, you're like, oh, man, I don't know. Should I go to church this morning? Should I go join people in worship this morning? God, oh, I really don't feel like it. I mean, we got things to do, right? Things are a lot more fun to do. And, and then go, it's not about your feeling. It's not about your fun. Your worship is about who God is and what is he worth. And when you get a picture of who God is and what he is worth, how can you say, no, 
This is better than you, God. My sleep is better than you, God. This fun that I want to have is better than you, God. That's why God said, don't make it for yourself any graven images. Do not bow down and serve them. You shall have no other gods before me. And how often do we do that in this world? And I think it's because we don't grasp who God is because we put God in this little box and, oh, I can just tuck him under my bed this morning. I don't have to worry about him. But if we see this God, how can we not stand before him in worship? The second posture that we take before God when we understand his omniscience is this one. We stand honestly in repentance. We stand honestly in repentance. Quite simply, God's omniscience means he knows everything about us. Read Psalm 139. David talks about it over and over again. God, you know me so well. You know what I'm thinking. You know where I am. I can't go anywhere. You know me, God. And so we can't pretend with God, right? We can't pretend with God. We, we can't stroll in here or stroll into the presence of God or, or say that we're going to live with God and walk in relationship with God while at the same time we're trying, we're hiding sin. We're trying to cover it up. We're trying to pretend like it's not there. I'm going to put on this good front like I'm all good with God, and maybe you fool me, which most of you do, and maybe you fool your friend, and maybe you keep it hidden from your wife or your husband or your family, but the one who you are not keeping it hidden from and the one whom one day you will have to give account for every action and thought and behavior is our God, and nothing is hidden from him. He knows. He knows. So let's not play games with God. How often is, and, and what did Jesus always poke at the Pharisees about? He's always poking them. Like, you, you're a hypocrite. You, you're a whitewashed tomb. You, the outside, you're, you're worried about the outside of the cup, but the inside is dirty. Because what is Jesus saying? You're pretending. But God knows. God knows, so we need to stop pretending. I mean, think of the woman at the well. That was quite a day for her, wasn't it? She's getting, going out there to get a drink of water. She's talking with Jesus, and uh, Jesus says to her, well, go uh, bring this back to your husband. And, and, um, and he reveals, I know, you've had five. How do you know this about me, sir? Because he's God, he knows. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. They were trying to hide a little bit of their money underneath the, uh, underneath the tent because they didn't want to give all their, I'm like, do I have to give it all to God? Can't I keep something back? Do I really have, let's just hide it. Peter, did you bring it all? Yes, we brought it all. We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what? There's some money hidden underneath your tent. Oh, of course, in that case, they died immediately because God was showing his community that they had to be upright and they had to be faithful that's who they need to be and so friends we need to learn from that and see that God knows everything about us so let's not play games 
1 John 1, 6, 7 says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. It doesn't get more clear than that. So we're showing up and go, I am walking with Jesus. I have a great relationship with Jesus. But I'm holding on to this porn. Men. I have this great relationship with Jesus, but I got this bitterness inside my life. I'm, I'm walking this relationship with Jesus, but I'm so angry about this situation. I got bitterness with Jesus. I, I got this relationship with Jesus, but I'm, I'm holding back my resources because I, just, I want them for myself. I mean, the list can go on and on. We're dealing with a, with a habit. We're dealing with an attitude. We're dealing with unrepentant sin that's going on in our life, and we're saying, yeah, but I'm walking with Jesus. And meanwhile, Jesus is saying, what are you saying? I'm light. That's darkness. I can't have anything to do with the darkness. But I came to deal with that darkness. So let's be honest about it. And that is what we are. In the most glorious moments here at at Orchard Hill are when we're honest and we quit playing games. And we say, here's my sin. And we bring it out in the light. Because then... God can take care of it. And then, what Jesus has won for us, victory over sin and death, can take place in our life. And we can live in freedom, and we can live in truth, and we can live within the bounds of God's kingdom, where Jesus said, this is life, life abundant. And so we got to be honest. There's no shame here. The greatest thing is when somebody comes forward and says, Pastor Bob, I got this sin and I want to get rid of it. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm not standing up here and going, I thought you were a sinner. (laughs) Well, maybe you better go down the street to remembrance. (laughs) Because we don't take sinners here. We got to. No, my remembrance friends, I love them. It was the first church that came into my mind, so. (laughs) Well, we're not kicking anybody out. We love that, right? Because we're all sinners at the foot of, who can come show up and go, let's not play games. Let's celebrate every week. Somebody stepped out of sin. Somebody broke a habit. Somebody stepped out of darkness and they started walking in light. Hallelujah, that's what we're about. And so let's not play games. And when we honestly know that our God knows all things about us, our pattern of our life is one that we're going to be living in repentance before him. Is that a regular rhythm of your life? Because I'm guessing each and every day there may be some sin in your life. I'm guessing that there may be something you need to deal with before our holy God, right? I'm holy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Through Jesus, we can be made holy when we confess, and and the scriptures tell us when we confess that God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. God is for you. He wants you to step out of that darkness and come into the light. I mean, do we think, like, oh, I'm trying to pretend on God. I'm here in in God. I want you to know that I'm, I'm, oh, I got my act all together, God. Or do we want God come in God's presence and go, God, 
I have sinned. And he's like, yes, I know you have. Come on. And I did something about it. I sent my son for you. That's how much I love you. That's the grace that I have for you. It's my free gift to you. Just accept it and quit pretending. Don't let the enemy deceive you. Don't buy into the lies. Come clean before God because he knows all things. I'm also going to stand receptively. I'm going to stand receptively in his word. I'm going to stand receptively in his word because who is God? He's all knowledge and he's all understanding. So if God is all knowledge and all understanding and I know that his knowledge and I know that his understanding leads me to life and life abundant, I want it, right? I want it. And so I'm going to receive what God has for me. I, I, you know, I wrestled with that word. It was a little odd word, receptively, but I think it's the right word because I think receptacle. It comes from receptacle. And what's a receptacle? You know, right? You got a trash receptacle that you put your, your trash in. And uh, at home, I have like this little change receptacle, you know, this little change thing that I put all my change in my pocket uh, and miscellaneous screws and earbuds and paper clips and leftover mints. You know, it's just one of those kind of things. Whichever comes out of my pockets go in there. And, uh, and you have that kind of receptacle. And we know in biology that the receptacle of a plant contains all of the plant's organs. See, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Or did you forget that? See, we're limited in our knowledge. A receptacle. So I use that word because we want to be a receptacle of God's knowledge, and that's what Paul was praying about in our scripture reading. He says, I'm praying that you'll be filled with the knowledge of God. So you're this receptacle, right? And you can be filled with the knowledge and the wisdom and the ways of God and, and just have it be filled up with it. But unfortunately, I think some of us are filling up our receptacle not with the wisdom and ways and understanding of God, but maybe with the wisdom and ways of the world. Then we come to this receptacle, and where are we getting our wisdom and knowledge from? Could it be that we're getting it from our, our, our doom scrolling and our social media and the amount of time that we're, we're spending on our phones, that this is becoming what's coming into my receptacle? I'm taking in this knowledge of the world. Could it be what I'm getting in my ears through my music and through the movies that's coming in? Maybe it's my incessant listening to uh, Fox News or to The Daily Show. Uh, maybe it's the friends that I'm always gabbing with or the neighbors. Uh, where is it that you are getting your wisdom and understanding? Because as a receptacle, you're called to be filled with the knowledge and wisdom of God because, let's not forget the why, it leads to life, life abundant. Jesus told us, he said, wide is the road that leads to death. And many are on it. They're filling their minds, all right? They're filling their minds, they're filling their wisdom and understanding with the things of the world, and it's leading them to death. But Jesus says, narrow is the road. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And that's the path we need to be on. And so we need to do as Paul told us to do. He says, set your minds on things above. Because I'm a receptacle. 
So I'm going to set my minds on things above, not the things in the world. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. The scriptures tell us in Corinthians, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the wisdom, by the understanding that we take in. And so I'm going to empty my receptacle out of the world stuff. Get rid of that, right? Get rid of that. I don't want that in there. Every once in a while I'll have that when I come to work and I'll find that I made some sort of uh, ridiculous decision that I was going to be healthy and I'll find that my, my glass is half filled with water. I'm like, what is in there? And so I go over and I empty it out and then get back on track and fill it up with the golden goodness of Mountain Dew. It's like, what's going on? But I can't just pour the Mountain Dew in there because it's half filled with that water. We got to empty it out. We got to empty out the receptacle, right, of the things of this world so that we can be filled with the things of God because he's got all knowledge. He has all wisdom, and that's what we want, that knowledge and wisdom of God. Jesus told us, how do we live? Live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the great thing is that God has given us all that we need to know for life and faith right here. Are you immersed in the word of God? Is that where you're getting your wisdom from? Is that where you're getting your understanding from? Because you're saying, well, I just wish I knew God's will. He tells us everything we need to know for life and faith right here. And if we would get into the word, we would know his wisdom, his understanding. He said, I, yeah, I'm too big. You're never going to understand all my knowledge, but I will give you what you need to know so that you can live a life of faith and you can walk faithfully before me that you can be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. It's in my words. I think back to when I was with a group of college students and we were sitting down to pray, right? Because it's always, oh, we're praying for God's will. We want to have his wisdom and understanding. And this, and maybe I told you this before, this girl said to me, she said, Pastor Bob, I want us to pray because um, I'm considering, this is when I was out in California, so everybody here's off the hook. Um, so, <laughs> everybody gets anxious, you tell them about me? Uh, no. Um, and she said, uh, she said, I want you to pray. Um, I, I'm trying to consider if I want to go down and now live with my boyfriend in Southern California. And I said, so you're just thinking about, you're just going to go down and just live with him, move in and live with him. That's right. Yeah, but I can't do it right now because he first has to get divorced from his wife. So I want you to pray, so I'd like us to pray about whether or not I should do that. And with all the gentleness and <laughs> compassion and pastoral counseling in my heart, I said, no, we're not praying about that. We're not, but you're like, what? No, we're not. do we have to pray about that? No. God has given us his wisdom and his word. Clearly, we don't have to pray about that. And many things that we struggle with, that we deal with, that we're wrestling with, God has told us clearly how we are to do this. Look at the mess our country is in right now over the idea of marriage. God said marriage is between a man and a woman. A man shall leave his wife, and the two shall become one. That's God's wisdom. That's the best way for families to flourish. It's the best way for a society to live. God said that's the best way to do it. But we're ignoring his wisdom, and we have chaos 
And our children are bearing the brunt of this broken world that we're in because we've ignored God's truth. God tells us in his word, and we need to be receptacles of his word. And so I just want to encourage you to keep digging into God's word. And I think the last posture that I want to say, I I think it's the last one. We'll see. The last um, posture that I want to say is that I'm going to stand trustfully before God in prayer. I'm going to stand trustfully before God in prayer. Because there's a lot that I don't know. Much I don't know. But I know the one who knows. That's God. There's nothing hidden from God at all. He knows, as we said before, all things from all times, all places. He's the source of all knowledge. His knowledge is complete and perfect. Our knowledge is not. And there are times where I get into life and and I can be like, God, why is this happening to me? God, how come this is going on? And they're like, who am I to judge God? I have incomplete knowledge. I have knowledge that's tainted by sin. But God, in his holiness and in his perfect, eternal infinite, glorious way, has perfect knowledge of all things. And so who am I to to, to question him in that? Instead, I need to trust him in that. So I turn my heart towards him and trust him. That's exactly the lesson that Job learned. Read Read the book of Job, because at the end, Job had all this suffering going on, and at the end, he starts accusing God, going after God, and 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 God says, wait, hold on, Job. Do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do that? And then he says to Job these words in Job 38, 36, who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? So Job, you're trying to figure me out. You're trying to think in your brain. Who gave you your brain, Job? Who gave you your wisdom? Who gave you your understanding? It's me. And now you're questioning me? God tells us, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, nor your thoughts my thoughts. So we need to turn our lives to the one who knows and trust him. Jesus told us, in Matthew 6, 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And we know he's a good father. And so we, we hinge our faith on that, that I'm turning towards God in prayer, and I'm going to trust that, that I know that God doesn't always answer prayers in the way that we think he should, right? Because I have in my mind, I know exactly how it should turn out. But I'm going to trust God that if I know the things that God knows, that he is going to bring those things into my life. And I also got to trust that God will withhold those things from me that he knows will harm me if I know what God knows. But I don't know what God knows. So I'm going to trust him in that. Does that make sense? I just kind of got myself tongue-tied there. I'm going to trust him in that. It's like when, when my kids are little, okay, again, I'm going with an earthly example, and they're like, hey, it, you know, it's, let's say it's after Halloween. Hey, can I eat my Halloween candy? And what do parents always do? It's like, you can take one out, and you can eat it before dinner, but don't ruin your appetite. Because we know they will. But what if we said, yeah, go ahead. Eat your candy. 
Go ahead, dig in there. Have it all. That's fine. We know they're going to get sick. We know they're going to throw up. We know it's going to be a miserable experience. I know that, but they don't. They're ticked off at me, right? Why can't I eat my candy? Why can't I have it? And run off to the bedroom and, you know, slam the door and get mad at you. Well, I know that. I know some things. Well, doesn't God know some things? He knows it all. And can we not trust him that he will bring to us exactly what we need, that he will withhold exactly what we need so that we can move on in our lives that are in alignment with him? Proverbs says these words to us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path what to take. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord. That's our posture before God. The, there's a quote out there that says this. It um, says, right theology leads to right living. Theology is simply theo is God. Ology is the study of, so it's the right understanding, the right thinking about God, the right theology. If I have the right theology, then it will result in the right living. And so we want to think correctly about God. And that's what we're doing in this year of God. We are trying to bust God out of these little boxes that we put him in so that we can understand who he is and we can live rightly before him. And Paul said that that was the reason for his prayer. Paul said, I'm praying for you that you will be continually filled with the knowledge of his will, that you will have all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. The right thinking about God, the right thinking of God leads us to living the right way. And so as we consider our God who is omniscient, I just ask you to struggle and maybe wrestle with one of those four postures before God that you need to implement into your life. Maybe it is that you need to be able to come before him and stand before him in reverent worship. They're going to say, that's what I'm going to do. In lieu of this is who God is, I'm going to live rightly before him by, by worshiping him reverently. Maybe you're here today and you're just saying, as I come before my God today, uh, as I stand before him, I am going to come and I'm going to have to live this life of repentance because I know that God knows everything about me. And so you're living that life honestly before him. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe for you it's a life that has to get into his word so that you can fill your mind with a knowledge of God rather than the ways of the world. Or maybe it's simply living a life of trust in prayer, knowing that God will bring good things to you and do what is exactly right because he loves you. What is it that you need to do today? How is it that you need to respond to this great God where there's no one like him? He is omniscient. And we, his people, are trying to walk before him. I think it would affect our posture in this day and every day. God, we thank you for 
your word. But beyond that, well, for your word, which uh, tells us to, to seek your knowledge and understanding that you are a God who, who is not absent from us. You are a God who will bring to us your knowledge, your understanding. And so, God, as we live before you is, is a God who, who knows all things. May you just send your spirit in this day and impress upon our hearts how we should respond to you. And God, when we have kept you in a small box and we've lived nonchalantly and we haven't really been living before you as you are and as you've revealed yourself to us, we ask your forgiveness. And I pray that people would find that this community is one who, who seeks you first, who seeks you with all their heart. And God, that we would then live our days loving you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. May that be done here, as I said, today and every day in the midst of this community. God, we love you. We worship you. There is none like you. For that we are grateful. Amen.